But please enjoy the video. Hello, everyone. I really appreciate you attending this session on Christian community development, and particularly looking at um, Christian community development in respect to the social deterrence of health. So my first, I want to introduce myself and also apologize that I am not there with you. I'm so sorry. I had been looking forward to coming to Louisville, but we needed to make a rather sudden visit to our team in Nepal, and that is actually where I am right now. So I hope with that understanding that you will not mind my, my not being there. And for those of you guys who are really interested in this topic, I hope that we'll be able to continue to engage after the session. So today we're going to talk a little bit about meeting social determinants of health for the Christian community development. And so you understand my background. Um, I am uh, the co-founder and medical director of a nonprofit called Health Environmental Learning Program, which was officially started in 1999, and then started a sister non-governmental organization, which works primarily in the country of Nepal, and we started that organization shortly after. My actual background, though, is both in practicing family medicine, being a family physician, and everything from extremely resource-limited areas, where I was the only doctor for miles and miles around, to also practicing in a multi-specialty group in Texas. I've been involved in academics, everything from starting a medical school from scratch in the country of Nepal, to right now uh, developing a brand new curriculum and clinical skills for a new medical school in Texas. I've also been a program director and associate program director of family medicine residency programs, and um, also run a residency program in the country of China. So my background is rather varied. Um, uh, in between all that, managed to uh, have four children of my own and uh, somewhere over 70 others. Also, I'm married to a wonderful man who has put up with my craziness and has partnered with me in this whole Christian community development vision that God gave us many years ago. So... Uh, my actual board certification is in family medicine. I'm also certified in uh, a number of other areas, geriatrics, travel and tropical medicine, healthcare quality and utilization review. And so at heart, even though I'm a family physician, I'm also an academician, always love to learn. So um, as we talk about our session today, you'll see in some of the beginning slides I will have some references. If any of you are interested in more references, I'm happy to give you those. But I felt like it would be more beneficial to not just quote a lot of statistics, but also to really talk about how I think Christian community development is really the best answer to addressing social minutes of health. So what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to define social determinants of health. We're going to talk a little bit about how they uh, are in relationship to the developing world, um, how the tenets of international Christian community development uh, relate to and can influence social determinants of health. And the majority of my session, I would like to share with you 
how I have personally seen literacy, agriculture, income generation, animal husbandry, preventive health, um, working with at-risk children, orphanage, and much, much more, all working together can be an incredibly successful Christian community development program. Um, and hopefully encourage all of you who are here to reflect on how you can implement that into what you're doing here in the U.S. or maybe what you're doing globally and internationally. The Himalayas is my second, uh, are my second home. I was going to say it is the, the most beautiful place in the world. And I've even lived in Alaska. And I still love the mountains of the Himalayas Festival. It's also one of the poorest parts of the world. And so... When we refer to social determinants of health, WHO came out with these definitions in 2016. But any of you who have lived or worked in much of the world know that these ideas are not new. It's just that we've started emphasizing them more, and it's become, I would say, perhaps a little bit more in vogue to talk about them than it used to be. So what are they? They're basically everything that's not medical, that it affects medical outcomes. It's the things that, for me, as a physician, have always frustrated me. Um, and that is really why I got so interested in Christian community development. Uh, also, I just want to mention, if you look at that term on the internet, or you look for books published on it, other than the, the book that I wrote on International Christian Community Development, the majority of, of the literature is more focused on urban development as well as inner city. And my focus is really going to be the global so what do uh, social determinants of health have to do with health inequities? Well, basically, they're sort of almost the same. We know that the lower the socioeconomic class, uh, the more set health outcomes. Nobody will argue with that. And in the recent literature, people claim between 30 and 55% of our health outcomes are impacted by social determinants of health. Basically, everything outside of health. Access, poverty, economics, all of these different factors that typically, when we see a patient, um, we don't usually think about addressing those, although we're trying to, I would say more nowadays. The Healthy People 2030 made this wheel, and I was actually just discussing this a couple of weeks ago in a um, clinical skills class where we were talking about the doctor-patient relationship and just how we relate to people and what all affects their health. And we're, I asked the students, I said, well, what do you think on this wheel is the most important factor besides just health in general? Which of these do you think is most important? And we had a pretty lively discussion. Basically, everyone finally agreed that you can't really pull one out because education and economics and community, and neighborhood, and healthcare access and quality, those are all important. And so I want us to think about how can Christian community development impact every single aspect of that. We're going to look at economic stability, poverty, food security. The average family in Nepal does not even have enough food to last beyond a week or so, some not beyond a day or two. And when COVID hit, it was a disaster. 
because many people who were day laborers didn't have the food for a day, and they were not allowed to work. Education, not only literacy in the national language, which in Nepal we have over 33 major languages, not even to mention minor ones, but then any literacy, literacy at all, any higher education, and now we're finding out early childhood development. We also know that the mother's literacy, or whoever is a primary uh, taker, uh, caretaker of the child, and their literacy directly impacts the health of the child. Well, access to health care, and even primary health care. Uh, how and where do they live? Is it a safe environment? We know in urban settings, crime and violence um, take more lives than certainly diabetes or hypertension. And then just the community context. We know a little bit in Nepal and in the Himalayas, the caste system very much affects the performance of health. So in lieu of our time, I won't talk too much about adverse childhood events, but it is an area that has become of great interest to me because we now know that children who have severe adverse events actually have a significantly decreased life expectancy. They also have much higher rates of alcoholism, drug use, early sexual activity, all these things on the list here, and mental health problems. This has become an interest of mine because we, we have an orphanage and a children's program in the community that is trying to address some of these issues. But honestly, the best way to address these is before. So how can we actually address all of these issues? Food insecurity, certainly as physicians or nurses or whatever the healthcare background of all of y'all might be, human trafficking and it's quite popular to talk about. I will tell you the reality is that I have lived and served for many years in the country that has the most open border, the Indian-Nepali border, which is known for being the height of human trafficking. What has made the greatest difference? What has caused us to see huge communities that no longer sell their children into trafficking is not people rescuing them. It's not people rehabilitating them after they it is actually preventing it through Christian community development. So this is a pie chart that illustrates really what we're talking about, what we'll be talking about. The green is um, socioeconomic factors. That's basically what I'm talking about. How do we keep the Kamayans who don't have enough land because they were indentured servants from selling their sons and daughters into prostitution? Well, we'll talk about that. And we have seen it over a 15-year period dramatically impact. Uh, the fiscal environment, the little purple piece, that's basically burning the land for your crops instead of rotating them. Um, healthcare is the bright orange piece, which is important. Um, and then health behaviors, drug, alcohol use, um, many, many other things are the lighter orange. So despite all the talk about social determinants of health, it's very interesting to me in that I graduated from medical school in 1985, and when I was in medical school and residency, we really didn't even talk about these issues. But we recognized that many of the things that we encountered were not issues that we, as physicians, had much power and could deal with. However, now we really, really talk about it. Um, the question is, does it really matter? Has anything changed? 
We also talk a lot about population health, and um, there were some landmark studies done back in the 80s, back around the time I was finishing med school and starting residency, talking about that, um, you know, maybe we should quit looking at individual health. Maybe uh, we need to look at whole populations, because if we use all our resources and only treat high-risk individuals, then we'll miss the opportunity to prevent the illnesses in whole populations. This is very true. Um, as I talk to many of my colleagues, however, I would say that much of our emphasis in global emissions is still focused on individual health. And I think Jesus also paid attention to the individual. We see that when um, we see many accounts in the Gospels. However, is there a better way? Should we maybe in our work for the Lord consider not just individual cases, not just going and handing out medications or uh, trying to do something short-term, but could, should we consider um, the entire population in a community and yet still recognize the individual value of a person created in God's image? These are things we have to think about with social determinants of health. The next few slides, I just put some quotes. Uh, there are, are many, many articles about this, but there's a big push towards what we call health equity-oriented healthcare sector leadership. Um, I prefer health equality because I don't think equity and equality are the same. There's a whole other discussion. But many of these policy statements, if you really dig deeply into them, they're wonderful from a philosophical standpoint. And some of them are great and doable. Focusing on comprehensive primary care, involving local communities in decision-making process. These are key in any sort of development. Providing universal accessible care that's publicly funded through taxation. Resource allocations based on the needs of a population. Many of the things that we see pushed by WHO, United Nations, many governments, look good on paper. But the reality is, when you have your boots on the ground and you are actually working in most countries, the problem is having this happen, it just is quite a difference. Some other um, issues that are brought up talking about stewardship is that we need to completely reform medical and health professional education so that we spend more time looking at the importance of social determinants. I will tell you, the medical school that I teach in, we emphasize this. But I, I hesitate to be so optimistic that I think just educating people about these social determinants of health is going to change anything. And you may say, well, why do you say that, Dr. Ackerman? And I will say, because the hearts of people have got to change before we can change many of the issues in social determinants of health. And this is why I believe that Christian community development can address social determinants of health as we share the gospel and disciple the nations. You see, Christ came to ministry the body, soul, and spirit. Even though his focus was our eternal destiny, there is no question when you read the scriptures 
that he had incredible compassion for the poor, for the outcast. He addressed hunger, but he said, man should not live by bread alone. He recognized poverty, but as we know, and, and the Apostle Paul wrote, if a man is not what he should not be, and Jesus also encouraged us. Even if we look at the Jewish faith, they had established practices to, to take care of the poor. But if we are the hands and feet of Christ, are we really demonstrating this? I think the church and Christian missions in general has done a great job historically in addressing many, many of the social and health issues of the world. However, I'm not sure if we are looking at the big picture as well as perhaps we could. And that's really what I want to challenge you to think about, is that Christian community development is an effective biblical means to both evangelize and disciple the nations in closed countries and to address the social determinants of health. Why do I say closed countries? Well, because the examples that I'm going to share with you have taken place in closed countries. For those of you who are familiar with that term, I mean a country where it is illegal and the price of sharing the gospel openly can be prison and loss of your income. This is not only for any foreigners who go into that country, but also for the nationals. And this is extremely important to recognize when most of the world that needs a gospel is not exactly open to what we might say more open evangelical means. You can probably tell from this picture, which was quite a few years ago, that my children are the white ones. They are, there's only three of them in this picture. I was actually pregnant with my fourth at, at this time. And this is in front of our home in a village. Um, we lived in a mud home, which sometimes had electricity and sometimes had running water. And these were our neighbors. Um, my children enjoyed quite a rustic lifestyle at this time of their life. At that time, um, my husband was a community development um, leader in a hydropower project. And then later on, we moved into the city. Uh, this is actually a picture still in a rural area, but much more in the city where I had the privilege of um, starting a medical school as well as establishing a maternal child department in a Nepali-run community hospital, and my husband was teaching environmental sciences. That's actually a picture taken not too long before we returned back to the United States primarily so that we could be full tent makers, and by that I mean fully self-supporting. We did require some support, although we were able to um, support ourselves to some extent, and we knew that when we went back to the United States, we could actually help fund our own national missionaries and um, be able, we felt, to use God's resources more. So the stories I'm going to share with you, the examples I'm going to share with you about Christian community development um, started before we moved to Nepal. And I don't have time to tell you those stories. And they were very, very instrumental in forming the ideas that we developed. But this is really more about health environmental and learning program. You'll notice that it does not have a Christian ring to it, and it is not on purpose because we work in closed countries. Um, the website has general information, and my husband and I started this with a group of like-minded believers, wonderful friends 
who continue to work with us many years later. Uh, we currently actively work with over 300 churches a year in non-governmental organizations and at one time or another have um, had the privilege of serving in communities in nearly half the villages uh, and districts. So as we launch into thinking, okay, what is Christian community development and how does it relate to social determinants of health? I think one of the most important things, if you have an interest in this, You've got to do more than do some short-term visits. You actually have to live in a place. You have to learn the language. You have to listen to the people you live with. Learn from your community. Probably most importantly, lose your ego. I think it is incredibly humbling when you go to a place and realize that all of your training and expertise means absolutely nothing when you're on the ground. It is the grace of God and prayer that will actually pull you through. So understanding Nepal, when we first moved to Nepal, it was a Hindu kingdom. We have experienced um, that changing into a so-called secular government, but it's still illegal to be um, a Christian. This is a typical Hindu temple, and these are typical Tibetan Buddhist prayer flags. Our initial call was to minister to people from a Tibetan Buddhist background, and then we found ourselves with people from both religious backgrounds. But people in Nepal are quite religious. They are also hardworking. And I know you can never generalize a country. Um, there's 30 million people there with uh, many, many different subcultures. Um, and they're warm and friendly. I love Nepal. I love the culture, the food, the people, and really everything about it. Um, it's poor. Many people live in poverty. There's a lot of mental illness. Up until recently, there were virtually no psychiatrists, and there's still very few. And just people are just beginning to recognize mental illness. The vast majority of people outside of the large cities, and many even within the large cities, do not have access to running water. Uh, this young lady is carrying water from a distant area. Life is hard. Um, people uh, walk their animals, uh, they gather fodder. Uh, most women spend much of their day collecting uh, water for their animals. Um, they have to use whatever water they have to wash their clothes, and it's a very difficult life for women and men. I would say it is much harder for the women. And the social determinants of health are not only affected by the poverty, but also by the caste system. This young boy uh, was in a village where my husband was staying, and, and uh, he invited him in to have a cup of tea, and the boy said, oh no, sir, I can't come in. I'm a below caste. And he would not enter. This home. This was not a Christian home, it was a Hindu home. And thankfully, education and many of the of the young people in the cities are, are changing in their ideas, but still deeply rooted in the culture and even in the religion of Hinduism, as you are who you are based on your karma or your sins of a previous life. And so therefore, you deserve your poverty. This is Bharat. Um, I had to take a picture of a photo. Bharat was really part of the beginning of, of one of our uh, branches of Christian community development. His arm is wrapped. That is actually in front of our mud home. My husband met him on the trail. And Bharat was one of many who helped start our literacy program. The reason I say that is because he, with his friends, did not know how to read. They didn't see the warning sign written by the Hydropower Project, which said 
do not attempt to touch the high power lines. This is a common practice in developing countries to try to tap in to the high power lines so you can get electricity. And Bharat was chosen by his friends and neighbors to run up the uh, pole. He grabbed onto the high power lines and fried his hand. When my husband looked at it and it was black, he bought into our home and he already had active gangrene and required amputation. Many of my little babies died because their mothers didn't even understand the basic germ theory. So in 1999, we started with 30 women in two classes, and by 2004, we had over 1,000 women in 50 classes. At the very first graduation class, some of the ladies said to me, you know, Didi, I am not stupid anymore. I can hold my head up. I can read the side of the bus. I can help my children, and I am going to make sure that my daughters learn how to go to school. These women would come into the field with no electricity. They would study by kerosene lanterns. They would bring their babies with them. The level of dedication for adult literacy is absolutely mind-blowing. Many of the young men, particularly during the Maoist Revolution, um, schools were shut. Right now we're dealing with COVID. Uh, schools just got open due to COVID, um, shutting down schools for two years. But when we started, uh, men and women couldn't go to school, particularly little girls, because in that culture, uh, little girls very often are needed in the home or in the field. And truly, because of the dowry system, which in southern Nepal, they aren't seen as having as much value because the parents have to pay a lot of money to get them made for Many of our literacy classes meet in churches, which breaks down huge barriers. Um, because Hindus and Buddhists in the rural areas feel that they will be cursed if they enter a place where another god is worshipped. These ladies, um, this class was, this is not all the attendants. Typically our class would have about 20 attendants. The young man is a local Christian leader, and we have found that many of the churches use the literacy classes as evangelistic tools. But we have to have a request from community leaders before we will set up a health literacy class. And we now publish our own books. Um, we wrote it with our team leaders, uh, Bojan and, Karam, and uh, Kumar, who um, were uh, active in the church, wanted to use their skills to teach literacy, and they have actually been working with help for, uh, well, since the very beginning of our literacy program. This was a unique literacy class, and I took a picture because a number of years ago, I was just heartbroken to learn. Uh, we knew all about the flesh trade on the border, particularly among the Kamayas, which were indentured servants who were given small plots of land and, and officially freed about 10 years ago by the Nepali government, but truly were still enslaved to poverty. And uh, the young man with the topi, the little Nepali hat, contacted our agriculturalist Roshan and said, you know, we have prisoners here in this area. Some of them have been in prison for human trafficking. Um, and we would like to start a literacy class. So I had the privilege of actually meeting the graduation of that literacy class, shaking hands with rapists and murderers who had been saved by the power of the Word of God, which was written all over the prison. And these teachers are holding up a light. These young men and women are leaders from churches all over Nepal. We have several teaching 
training sessions. We basically do student teaching. We have both our Christian leaders as well as our government and community leaders check in on classes so we know how they're doing. Our own team goes and visits them regularly, gives them tips on teaching, and they're holding up a light, which represents the light of the gospel of Christ as well as the light of literacy. This map was probably from about seven or eight years ago. I don't have a, an updated map, and you'll see little books that show the areas where we are doing those. We actually have to get government permission from every single area that we work in, and so sometimes we will have a request from a community that has a very low literacy rate, and we cannot go there. So there's a lot of prayer that goes into where the Lord leads us, and we will generally do a literacy class followed up by other income-generating classes. Because once people learn to read and write, they can perform math, they can run a business, and we actually keep statistics. A huge number of our, of our adult literacy participants will become um, more, they will have their own tea shops, they will become more prolific in whatever area of business they want to go into, whether it be raising mushrooms or opening a sewing shop, whatever it is. And so it is directly related to the income generation. So the next area that we addressed, uh, this little boy has a feeding tube, and that is because I was trying to get his weight up, diagnosed him with intestinal tuberculosis. And, um, of course, when we, when we started Health Environmental Learning Program, both my husband and I had visa positions. So we were basically working with and facilitating the Pali Christian uh, leaders who had gifts in different areas. And I said to um, our head agriculturalist, what can we do? This boy has intestinal TB. What can we do to help um, our farmers learn how to prevent these things, uh, have some village veterinarians? Um, so we not only started our village veterinarian pro program, but we also started a macro and basically microeconomic programs with sustainable methods. Um, this particular boy I took a picture of um, later was taken uh, from the tuberculosis program, even though we had money to pay for his drugs, uh, his medications through the government. His grandfather told me, um, Doctor, I cannot stay. The rest of my family will starve. Um, and I have to leave and plant my crops. So we started subsistence farming training, particularly in rural areas. We also um, started doing education for deforestation prevention, um, pesticide use. I had multiple patients that came in with pesticide overdose, often unintentional, because they did not know the dangers of them. Um, if you can imagine, trying to farm this kind of land, it's not easy. This is a result, often the land is completely covered by rocks. Many of you may remember the Nepal earthquake. We were quite involved in both relief and rebuilding of Nepal in many districts with farmer groups that we had been working with for five and 10 years. So we had the privilege of not only having our headquarters right at the epicenter and housing hundreds of people in our headquarters, but also helping these people get started, and we still are working in many of these areas that have not recovered from the earthquake. We also teach how to plant rice better than this particular method, um, how to use pesticides effectively. Um, this young man uh, is a leader in his church. 
He was willing to try some new techniques, and farmers will actually volunteer their fields, and our agriculture team will come in, work with them, have a training for their village. Believers and non-believers are all welcome. Um, we often find that the Christians are more willing to try new methods than those who have followed um, Hinduism or Buddhism, the religion of their forefathers. But what will happen, as in the case of this young man, his brother who had the field next door, was so impressed with the good outcome of the new farming techniques that this young man was able to share his faith more fully with his brother. And as you can imagine, when you help your neighbors and your brothers have a way to earn a living, they generally do not turn you into the government or have you arrested for proselytization because you are of value and you have demonstrated that you love God first and you love your neighbor second. And this is part of the incredible power of Christian community development. It is a natural way to share your faith by loving your neighbor. So these are just some cute pigs. They're cute when they're little. They're not so cute when they're big. The swine raising is one of our most popular and I would say profitable income generation trainings that we do. We also do a lot in goat training because goats are cheap. If you notice that this uh, goat pen was up on sort of a little stilt, we use that and then farmers will harvest the manure from here and use it on their uh, land for fertilization. This has been an exciting thing to me. I, I really I know nothing about farming. I know nothing about animals. Um, all of these programs, as I mentioned, were started by the expertise of my Nepali brothers and sisters, and we have the privilege of partnering with them and, and really just helping them generate more ideas. We also work very closely with as many experts as we can find in every area. Uh, this young man raised goats, and he was actually able to go to college as a result of that. He, he's active in his local church. And this is exciting to me because what we're finding is that as we give income generation opportunities to the young people, particularly those who have not had many opportunities, they do not go and work in the extremely difficult jobs in the Middle East, which often will lead to family indebtedness and actually death of the young person. We've seen this over and over. They will go looking for a better life and will actually succumb to death, and then their whole family is left in debt. This is a family who actually had the privilege of having tea with them. They were destitute, literally had no food. Our extension agent in their district um, came and, and recognized their difficulty. They did not own any land. They came to some of the help farmer training, and not only did he start a vermiculture farm, but was recognized within two years as one of the most outstanding farmers in his village development committee, which was quite an honor. And he told me, he said, uh, you know, not only am I not so poor and I can feed my family, but I can actually send my children to school, which is a huge, huge thing. And so what's exciting to me, this, this young man and his family um, are from an unreached people group. Uh, they now also know the Lord but they also have had a change in the health of him and his family 
education, social context, everything has been changed through Christian community development. One of the areas that we, uh, we closely integrate, literacy, animal husbandry, agriculture, health, children's outreach. And one example of this is about 10 or 12 years ago, our head agriculturalist came to my husband and I and said, you know, I would like to publish a quarterly magazine in Dakhbari in the Pauline Action's Vineyard. And it was the very first farmer's magazine ever published in a country predominantly inhabited by farmers, which is written on the local language, it's written at a pretty low literacy level. And it is so exciting to go to a small village and see people reading this magazine. There's just not the amount of reading material like we have here. We have, we have materials everywhere. Um, people have the internet everywhere. It is not like that in most of the So this has been revolutionary. It's been a wonderful help. It gives tips, it gives recipes, and it even gives lots of stories. We also every year have what's called the Farmers Folk Festival. People come. We, we now have changed it where we have it in several central locations because the program's grown so big it's too difficult for farmers at one end of the country to travel to the other end. And the we have what are called farmer groups. Uh, here in the United States, we also often call them farmer cooperatives, and then they raise goats together, they may share irrigation equipment, and then they compose songs about how God has blessed them, uh, and they also teach by song, which in many cultures is a more powerful way to teach farming techniques than um, in a literate way, because many of the cultures communicate more effectively that way. And this is just a typical training. Almost all of our training is done in the local area. Um, this actually is an animal husbandry training. You don't see the animals there, but the Sangha, uh, the guy in the, in the white shirt uh, with the watch, is showing how to use effective microorganism, which is a uh, a means of composting rapidly that we use both in our veterinary and um, agriculture programs. And they will go in and practice using it. Uh, here, Arjun, who's actually no longer working as an employee uh, of our NGO, because the good news, I suppose, is that he had so many churches to start that he was too busy being a pastor. So obviously, we were thrilled with that development. and. He is continuing to go to the congregation and help them with their goats and their goat training. And if it's something he doesn't have time to address, he can call one of our veterinary, uh, village veterinarians that we have trained. This is a typical agriculture training, learning how to do pesticide-free farming or tilling the soil. Uh, then they learn how to compost. And, and you might think, well, surely you know, everybody gets how to compost farmers, it is not true. Um, many of the traditional farming practices are devastating the soil. The young man in the scarf, who, who looks quite young, was actually um, grew up in our orphanage. Uh, I met him on the steps of a uh, Hindu temple where he was a street boy, and uh, he is now graduated from our orphanage um, and sent to school, and he has an amazing agriculture training. Here, one of the extension agents is training local farmers how to do soil testing. And please do not ask me any questions about this. This is completely out of my um, spectrum of knowledge. But what I would like to encourage you all is that even though it is 
As a family physician, I knew that my patients had to have better food. Most of my children in my practice were suffering from malnutrition. So if we did not address the social determinants of health affecting that, which were basically poor farming techniques and, and extreme poverty with lack of food security, then my patients weren't going to get better. Another central issue is going to the Gulf. This young man went to the Gulf, didn't really make that much money, came back. He went to one of our farmer trainings learning how to make these tunnels for tomatoes and made so much money he told us, I'll never go back. And he has actually helped young men in his community not leave for the Gulf because he says you can make just as much money at home and you can be with your family. This has also been helping our churches because they're not losing all of their leadership, leaving the women and children alone, causing dissolution of marriages and difficult things. This is just a young man showing um, uh, his chicken. He learned how to do poultry farming through our poultry training. Then the environment. Uh, my husband's background is environmental work, but um, this also completely overlaps the health issues. Um, Sanitation, I think all of us would be aware of that, but a smokeless stove is something that you may not be familiar with. Um, just to show you, this is a typical kitchen in rural Nepal. Um, if you notice, a woman is cooking on an open fire, or someone who's in school is, is looking at something. And this is a result. There's many, many children with birth. I saw so many burns. In fact, one day I, I had a patient. Um, I was examining her child, and I said, do you have any other children? She says, no, uh, this is my last one. And I said, what happened to your others? And four of her eight children that she'd had that had died, four of them died related to burns. Um, in addition, most of my patients in Nepal, by the time they were 30, they had because of the nail, the smoke. Um, there were uh, other NGOs who would uh, provide expensive gas stoves, but we wanted something sustainable. Because one of the things about Christian community development is it needs to be any development that is effective must be sustainable using local resources. So this is one of our extension agents who later became a, a village veterinarian, and uh, he also is a leader of his church. He was showing the locals, he was actually making mud out of bricks. Uh, this is a training where they are learning how to build what we call a duarahi chulo, or smokeless stone. And then we have many different models. Uh, this is one model that was uh, higher up off the ground. Uh, this was a lower model, but you can still see that a child is not going to be able to roll into the flames. Um, it preserves firewood. And um, you can fit your pressure cooker that you cook your rice and dal or lentils in perfectly there. So this young lady who is cooking her lentils would have saved probably almost an hour every day just by using this smokeless stove. And this is a little pipe behind, which was locally available. We also had others, a little difficult to see on the slide, but then this particular pipe was made of mud bricks, which were locally available. Um, so I can show you many pictures and even the briquettes so that they don't have to use 
firewood, we, we have a program showing them how to use locally available materials, and these are very popular, uh, the farmers and um, others who sell them in the market. So this man is standing in front of his toilet. He's very proud of his toilet, and he should be, because he made it himself. So what on earth do we do with health? I mean, here we are at medical missions. We're talking about social determinants of health, and I'm at the end of my talk, and I have barely talked about specifically health. And I think you will understand why, because every single one of these things is related to health. But actually, we do have a full health department in our Christian Community Development Program. Because when I came to Nepal, one woman died every 12 hours in childbirth. Now, I have to say it's dramatically improved, and I'm proud that our NGO has had a big part of that. But it's still not good. And we know that education of the mother is directly linked with child mortality, which is why the emphasis on mortality, uh, excuse me, on um, farmers groups to affect that. We also focus a lot on women's groups, women's education. This young woman came in with a ruptured uterus. Uh, she had a, what we call a, an arm presentation. When she came into my clinic, uh, she was rolled in. She'd been carried for three days. Uh, I could actually smell the smell of rotting flesh, and I knew the baby had been gone for days. She had to have a hysterectomy. She was then designated as a second wife. She could never have any more children. She lost her complete status in that society because she could not have children and this was her first child. So the social determinants of health were unbelievable in this woman. Her life was ruined. I had another patient similar to her who actually committed suicide after we got her over everything related to the horrible ruptured uterus. She went home and killed herself because she could not bear to be a woman living in that culture with no children. And this was one of our trainings teaching traditional birth attendants. The woman with the little sweater and the flowers is still working, uh, our head midwife, um, and she has taken a lead in many of our women's programs of training women. The woman in the sweater next to her, Bhavana, was completely illiterate, and over the last 20 years that I've known Bhavana, I have seen her change from a poor village woman who had just come to faith in Christ to one of the most powerful leaders in her whole district, not only taking a leader, leadership in her church, in her community, but the last time we visited, she told me, you know, Didi, when I go to the villages now and I meet with ladies, I tell them, you know what, I used to be like you. You see Bhavana again in this picture smiling. They're teaching these ladies how to feel or transverse lie so that they can send those women out of the villages to where they can be near a surgical facility for a C-section if needed. But that is Christian community development. It's not quick. I will tell you, it's an incredibly slow process. But this is why it is so perfectly matched to the discipleship process. Because Bhavana came to know Christ, became one of our traditional birth assistants, became one of our health leaders, as a volunteer, she still runs her shop, but she knows how to read and write now. She raised her children to know the Lord. This was a, is a very old picture of me with one of our health leaders who later took over all of our outreach programs as a certified medical assistant and is from a completely unreached people group whose language just was translated into the Bible. 
This is another uh, group of Christian leaders who will go and take care of their congregation uh, with simple packets. We have first aid training a couple of times a year. We do extremely close follow-up. And we encourage them, and they do work with the government health workers. Many of them live in areas, however, where people cannot access health. We don't do a lot of high-level health care now, and that has to do with the more recent development of the quality of laws. But they are able to strip the hospital. And some of you may have heard of community health evangelists. I had actually never heard of that. We have actually been doing it for over 20 years. Um, I will say it is much more powerful, however, in the context of holistic community development, not just with health alone. And these are ladies learning how to read at the This is uh, the young man who is now a full-time pastor. He used to be the director of our health um, department, uh, testing water at the water facility. Uh, this is one of my patients who had uh, ruptured intestines from a typhoid outbreak. And here you see, working with the community water group, we helped them actually get the money for the lid to their well. But I will tell you, we did not do any of the labor. They did all the labor. They developed a water user group, and it is still functioning. Unlike many times when I see organizations go in and build wells, and I can tell you very rarely will those water systems still be working in 10 years. We let the locals build the toilets. And you'll see Gita, our, our head midwife there, finding out how to do the toilets. And here's one of the volunteer health workers teaching in a literacy class. All of the different departments, income generation, health, literacy, community development, are all integrated in a way that I just don't have time to tell you guys about. And finally, last but not at all least, are high-risk children. If I ever write another book, it will be Why Not to Start an Orphanage. Orphanages are not where children should be brought. But we started one called Jotichiwa, and I will say that some of, some of our staff today grew up in those orphanages, and I love them. They're like my own children. But we recognized that this needed to be community-based. And so, when our orphanage was bursting at the seams of the height of the Maoist Revolution, we decided to start something for children like these, who had either one parent or no parents, but they had someone in the community who could take care of them. A Christian family was willing to take them in, or maybe even a relative. So instead of putting them in our home, like B. Roger and Ron who grew up in our home and are now out, and uh, or Song Jonah, who's now graduated. These girls all graduated from our orphanage, and, and I'm, I'm very proud of each one of them. They would have likely a uh, high risk of being sold into prostitution, but we couldn't help as many children um, in our orphanage as we could through the Jokey One program. So here are some of the kids a few years back. But here's Mom who was in our Jyoti one program in her village. And here is just one of the new groups. These are children waiting to receive their own uniforms, their own backpacks from a local church. We're actually meeting in a local church, but we worked with the school officials, with the community leaders. And these kids will be watched, they will be encouraged, and we have seen unbelievable transformation 
in these children's lives. I actually, while I was doing this recording, received a message from our team. They got stuck in a landslide, taking all the materials to a rural community, because we do not do any of this. We do not hand out money. We actually go directly to the community to make sure the children are benefiting. These three children are discrete pictures of hundreds. I just know these three personally. The young man in the middle, I had the privilege of going to the church where he now leads worship. This actually was a picture from about two years ago. He would have never even learned to read and write, but he had grandparents that he could stay with. He didn't need our orphanage, and he was able to participate in the community-based children's program that we have seen keep so many children out of So I'm out of time, and I apologize, because I know I gave you a lot of information. My prayer and hope is that the few things I shared with you is that you, if the Lord calls you to and you choose, can be a part of working in Christian community development. Even the local evangelist without means of support is viewed as suspect. And by working with local believers, teaching our brothers and sisters to love the Lord God first and love their neighbors as themselves, teaching them how to run a literacy project, to have a farmer's field school, to train farmers how to feed their own families, is so powerful. This was a number of years ago. My husband is in the back with our pastor, just some of our key staff. And so many more. We have hundreds and hundreds of volunteers. Uh, that is the beautiful side of Nepal that, uh, that incidentally, of course, is my husband, not me. And I have to show a picture of my family all grown up. This is about two years ago. I have four children, and, and actually now I have two grandchildren, my two in-laws. So with that, I just want to emphasize a couple of points, and we'll have just a few minutes, I think, for a chat. This is a book. I don't push my book. I make no money on it. Um, but Christian community development provides a way to evangelize and disciple, even in a country close to traditional missions. It gives us a way to change the social determinants of health. We can actually minister holistically to people's physical, spiritual, and social needs. It is truly, I believe, one of the most effective ways that we can disciple the nations. Here is our contact information. I would be very happy. I'm happy to talk to any of you personally, on the phone, by email. If this is something that interests you, we could spend hours talking about it. And thank you for taking the time to come to this session. I hope it's a blessing. And all I can say is praise the Lord, because everything he's allowed us to do has truly been only by his grace. So with that, we will open it up for chat. Well, everyone, since I'm not an expert on this, if there is anyone that is an expert on it, I would like you to raise your hand. But since no one is, I'm going to assume not. So I guess you guys are just dismissed to go because, yeah, the person's not here.